You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Well, good morning, Christ Walk Church. How's everybody doing today? So great to see all of you and be with all of you here in the house this morning. Everyone that's watching with us online, thank you so much for joining with us as well. If you've got a Bible or a smart device, I want to invite you and encourage you to turn with me or swipe with me to the very uh, first book of the Bible. Once again, we're going to go to Genesis, and we are going to land together here in just a moment in Genesis chapter 6. So you can turn there, keep a finger there, swipe there, and just hold that spot. Um, Today we're in part three of a series called Heroes of Faith, where we've been taking a look at some of the different characters from Scripture that God used in extraordinary ways. And we've been highlighting both their strengths and their struggles, their setbacks and successes in the hopes of uncovering some nuggets of truth that when we apply those same truths to our lives will position us to be used in extraordinary ways by God as well. And no doubt many of you are probably feeling the same way that I am uh, this morning. It has been, let's just say, an interesting week. Am I right? Does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? Um, today, we are celebrating, uh, as, as the church, we are celebrating a, a long-awaited victory um, that helps give a voice to those that for the longest time have not had one. Um, yeah, we can, give that, we can give a hand clap for that um, with, with what the, the Supreme Court ruling um, that took place this, this past week. But, but make no mistake... Um, this is just the beginning of uh, the work that we have cut out for us. Our, our, our work is not done. It's, it's only getting started because now that, now that um, the Roe, Roe v. Wade has been overturned and it's been released um, to the power of the states to, to decide, um, it's up to, to us. Somebody is going to have to stand in the gap to provide ongoing support for, uh, for mothers and children going forward. This is, this, is not, um, this is not just a birth thing. This is from womb to the tomb. It, it, it's, it's a, uh, the church is not just pro-birth. We are pro-life. Like through the, through the duration of, of, of what is, is going on and what God has called us to. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says that, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I came to give life in all its fullness. Not just life at the beginning of, of its inception. And so our work is still cut out for us. There's still lots that we have left to do. And as much as we are celebrating today, it's also a very sad and and, uh, difficult time in our world, um, the world in which we live, especially for uh, for believers. Um, We see as a result of this decision by the Supreme Court, we see protesting and rioting in the streets, people up in arms for having lost what they claim is a right to kill and slaughter the unborn. 
I, I, was, I was watching some news coverage and looking through some pictures of things on my, one of my social media feeds on Twitter, and I saw someone carrying a flag that said, abortion saves lives. And I thought, how in the, like, how sick and depraved have we become that we talk about like the taking of a life is actually protecting that life. In fact, since 1973, when, um, when Roe v. Wade was, was initiated, there have been over 63 million abortions take place in the United States of America. 63 million, just let that sink in. No wonder things are the way that they are. No wonder... Um, we've seen God in a lot of ways take his hand off of this nation and we find ourselves in the, the situation and the circumstances that we find ourselves. But, but as I said, our, our work is just beginning. What started at the federal level now has to continue in the state level and it's, it's time for the church and, and for the people of God to, to, to take a stand and to rise up and continue to, to move this forward in these last days in which we're living it's not just this one particular issue. There are a myriad of issues like this that are, that are taking place and that are crea uh, creating a, a, a difficult place for, for us to live and, and stand firm in our faith. We recently have seen an, uh, an increase and in, in an influx of, of all kinds of, of gun violence. It seems like day after day after day here of late, there's just been senseless mass shootings, all of them tragic. And something must be done for us to reverse this trend. Since 1963, close to 193 children and teenagers have been killed with guns in the United States of America. That's more than four times the number of United States soldiers that were killed in action in the Vietnam, Persian Gulf, Afghanistan, and Iraq wars combined. And then we have leaders of our day, many of them professing Christians that will take a stand and mourn the loss of 19 children who, who senselessly lost their lives in Uvalde, Texas in one breath, and then out of the next breath say that how dare the Supreme Court take away the right of these mothers to kill unborn children. We can't have it both ways. We've got to decide which, which line we're going to, to, to take a stand on. We, we, can't, we can't say that, that it's, it's, we've got to do something so that these kids in schools are protected and they don't lose their life. But then we can't also take a stand and say that, that we've got to protect women's rights to be able to kill these children. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Both of these are tragic issues, and, and the loss of life is catastrophic, and both of them have to, have to be addressed. And it's up to us, the church, the people of God, to lead the way in these areas. We also find ourselves uh, today on the back end of what has been affectionately called Pride Month. Um, all of these LGBTQ plus issues that we see surrounding us and, and that, are, that, are, that are being forced down our throats, that we're being inundated with. In 2015, just seven years ago, uh, we just want to get married. That was the cry. We just want to get married. And now in 2022, there's a drag queen story hour at every public library in the nation. 
how things have, have shifted. We, we've seen the, the rainbow flag be incorporated into everything from corporate logos to clothing that is on the rack at your local Target and Walmart. Pride parades in every city and small town. Forced inclusivity across all forms of media. You can't scroll through a social media feed without seeing all kinds of, of propaganda from, uh, from people that support this kind of lifestyle. And it's a twisting of the very creation of God who created male and female. And it's a distortion of the fact that each of us were created in his own image. But yet for any of us to take a stand and say something to the contrary of what's going on, you're labeled as a bigot and you're canceled. And how insensitive and how unloving you have become. And the fact of the matter is, is that that. Sometimes the truth can be harsh, but, but to share things with love means that we have to share them with truth. That's who Jesus Christ was. He was, he was full of grace and full of truth. It, it wasn't one side or the other. And we, we're, we're living in the reality of the fact that what one generation embraces or what one generation tolerates, rather, becomes the, the thing that gets embraced by the next generation. And so, because my generation tolerated all this mess, now my children's generation is embracing it. And we're, we're seeing things go in that direction further and further and further. And these issues and, and others like them, they can, they can be a difficult pill to swallow for those of us that are seeking to live a life that is pleasing unto God in this day and age. We hear it often that we're living in unprecedented times. I've, I've even said that several times myself, but, but I've come to realize that God's word communicates something quite different than that. We're really not living in unprecedented times. I, I was wrong. Go ahead and mark that down, Sarah. I was wrong. Because God's word communicates something very different, even from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, as we're going to find. And, and, and I believe that if, if we will listen to what God's word is communicating, we'll, we'll also see that, that it communicates to us how we are to behave and respond as we navigate the times that we're living in, awaiting for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we pick up today in, in Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to work our way through the end of the chapter um, over the course of today's message, spilling over into chapter 7 um, for a bit, so you can kind of keep your finger there. Um, Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse 5, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally Evil. Sound familiar to anybody right now? It says, so the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. But verse 8 says, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Today I want to spend a few moments talking about Noah and his example for how we are to live in these last days. 
Now, the, the Bible paints a, a pretty clear picture for us in terms of this, this slippery slope of, of human rebellion that, that, that here in Genesis chapter 6, as God is looking out over the landscape of, of the earth and everything that he has created, the, the reason things were in the shape that they were in, was, was the sole reason for that was because of the rebellion of humans. It started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve uh, disobeying God, and it, it's a trickle down through these first six chapters um, of, of the Bible, and we see a trickle down from generation to generation leading up to this point to where God is now looking at the things he's created, and he's, he's showing signs of regret. He's saying, I'm sorry that I ever did this. I think I'm just going to wipe it out and start over. And, and, and we see this picture uh, painted for us throughout the, the entire narrative of Scripture, the slippery slope of human rebellion. It, it begins with what James 4.4 4 refers to as camaraderie with the world. And camaraderie with the world leads to what 1 John 2 verses 15 through 17 defines as craving the things of the world. So we go from camaraderie or friendship with the world to craving the things of the world. And craving the things of the world leads to what Paul writes about in Romans 12. 2 in conformity to the world. And conformity will ultimately arrive us in to what 1 Corinthians 11.32 identifies as the condemnation that is ultimately going to come to this world. But our calling is not to be friends with the world. It's not to crave the things of the world. It's not to conform to the world. It's, it's our calling is, is to be set apart so that we don't receive the condemnation of the world. Rather, we're supposed to be consecrated from the world. To be consecrated means to be, to be set apart, to be separate, to be set up for a special use. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Verses 17 through 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. The number one thing our Heavenly Father desires for you and for me in the days in which we are living is for us to live lives of holiness. That's it. To live lives of holiness. And yet we look in, in the New Testament in, in, uh, in, in Luke 17, verse 26, and, and then there's another place in, in Matthew um, chapter 24, I believe, where, where Jesus is, it's, it's a recording of the same thing. And, and um, uh, Jesus is talking about these, these uh, last days and the end times and when he's going to return. And Jesus says this, Luke 17, 26, he says, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. What Jesus is saying here is that when people begin behaving the same way they did during the age of Noah, that's going to serve as a sign for you and for me that his return is near. And this brings up the question for all of us. We know what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6. We know that, that it was a wicked and perverse time, but, but what was it like in Noah's day? What are some of those defining characteristics? And, and in Romans chapter 1, maybe you want to flip over there. We're going to work through part of Romans chapter 1 here this morning. 
before we get back to Genesis uh, chapter 6. In Romans 1, Paul paints a picture for us of how things would have looked in what some scholars refer to as the devolution of man. The devolution of man. See, rather than evolve over time, Paul's discourse here seems to suggest that that man has instead devolved from the beginning of time until now. And we see this devolution taking place over the course of four primary uh, primary uh, stages. Some of this may sound familiar to some of you. Um, The four stages of the devolution of man go this way in accordance with Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 18. Stage 1 is the stage of intelligence. We start off pretty good, intelligence. Some of you are looking at your wives right now going, see, I told you, the Bible says I'm intelligent. Some of y'all get that on the drive home. Uh, Romans 1, 18 through 20, it says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. See, human history is is not the story of a beast who was worshiping idols that evolved into a man that worshiped God. Human history begins with man knowing God, but turning from that truth and rejecting him in the long run. God revealed his, his truth to uh, the, or the truth of himself, rather. God revealed the truth of himself to man from the beginning through his creation. Despite the fact that that men knew the truth, they they simply did not allow this truth to penetrate and work in their hearts and in their lives. And so rather than embrace God's truth, they chose to suppress it. They chose to to push it back and, and hold it down that they might live their own lives, their own way outside of the truth of God. So we see this this devolution of man. It begins with intelligence, but it quickly devolves into stage two, which is ignorance. Romans continues, as Paul writes in verses 21 through 23, he says, Yes, they, speaking of man, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. And claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. See, man knew God from the beginning, but but man didn't want to know God. They said, we'd rather know something else. We'd rather get God out of our minds. We'd rather separate ourselves from God. We'd rather not know him, not know his truths, not know his principles, not adhere to his guidelines. We'd rather live life our own way. Man not only said, I don't want to know God, but man refused to thank God or give God the glory that he alone deserves. But at the same time, man was willing to use the gifts, the blessings bestowed on him by God, but he was not willing to worship or praise the gift giver. And history has proven time and time again that man must worship something. And so if man is unwilling to worship the one true God, then he will worship a false God instead, even if that false God is something of man's own creation something that he manufactures himself. And so it's through this ignorance 
of mankind that ultimately brought about idolatry. That instead of man being made in God's own image, man made gods in his own image and settled for worshiping the creation rather than worshiping the creator. The devolution of man continues to stage three, which is indulgence. Romans continues in chapter 1, verse 24 through 27. Paul writes, So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. See, the distance between idolatry and immorality is really quite short. And what happens is, is when man acts as his own God, then he is free to do whatever he pleases and to fulfill his desires by any means necessary without fear of judgment. And this self-deification, if you will, leads to self-indulgence. And here in Romans chapter 1, Paul identifies this particular self-indulgence as the sin of homosexuality. Maybe you've heard of it. I don't know. Something that's plaguing our culture now. And we can see how uh, the culture, the, the days in which we live, the society in which we find ourselves, how we are following this pattern directly outlined in Scripture. The final stage of this devolution of man moves from intelligence to ignorance to indulgence. Finally, stage four is impenitence. And impenitence is simply a fancy word, which means lack of regret for one's sin. Paul continues in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. He says, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, Greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. And they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. And so this devolution of man ends up with man having fallen so far into sin and self-indulgence that rather than turn, God, turn back to God and seek him in repentance, he instead removes or desires to remove all knowledge of God from his mind. I, I want to distance myself from God as far as I possibly can. I want nothing to do with him. And then God, being the gentleman that he is, says, okay, have it your way. And though knowing that his actions will one day lead to death, man continues to live a life of defilement 
and depravity and encourages others to join in with him because if he's going down, he might as well take as many people as he possibly can with him. Meanwhile, the devil is having a heyday. He is loving it because he knows that his days are numbered. And when people, when man chooses to live this way, he knows that, that he is winning and that, that those people are going to follow him into eternal damnation and destruction. And it's this devolution of man that, that underscores the importance for the church of Jesus Christ and its people to model an authentic faith in the last days in which we live. And speaking of those last days in which we find ourselves, theologian Warren Wearsby, he says this, he says, there is a desperate need for us, speaking to the church, there is a desperate need for us to carry the gospel to all men, for this is the only way they can be saved. The challenge is clear. So how do we do this? How do we do this in these last days? How are we going to be the people that God has called us to be? How are we going to be the church that God has called us to be? We, we actually see a model for this and the type of action that is required in the life of Noah all the way back in Genesis. Upon taking a closer look at how Noah lived in the midst of such wicked and chaotic times, we're able to see an example for how we ought to conduct ourselves in these last days. So if you're taking notes, maybe you want to write this down. Noah's example for last day living. Noah's example for last day living, it starts with, number one, Noah was devoted. Noah was devoted. Picking up where we left off in Genesis 6 with verse 9, it says, This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. And so God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along the earth. Noah's devotion was made evident by his walk. And this is represented by the condition of his heart. That he was, he was righteous and he was, he was called blameless. He was the only one of that ilk that existed in that day. And, and this, this particular walk, it, was, it wasn't something that just began with Noah, however. It was actually generational. It began with his uh, great-grandfather, Enoch, who walked so closely with the Lord for 365 years that one day he was just, the Bible says that, that he was translated. The Lord just took him away. One day he was here, and the next day he wasn't. It wasn't through death. He just disappeared so that he could be in the presence of his heavenly father that continued with Enoch's son, Methuselah. Some of you um, may remember him. He lived 969 years old, the oldest man that we have, the oldest life that we have on record. Methuselah's son, Noah's father, was a man by the name of Lamech. 
And then we have Noah. And Noah's walk with God through these generations, it was as much caught as it was taught. That he, he simply learned how to walk with the Lord by observing his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather and listening to the stories that had been passed down through the generations. Just through the observations with and the interactions with his family. And today, our walk begins with a step into salvation by trusting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's actually um, our, our church, the name of our church signifies that. It's, it's our Christ walk. It's what this is all about, that, that we, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. And, and that is a generational thing, that we live our lives in such a way that will inspire our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, that, that it's not just us isolated in a vacuum, but that, that the world and others around us, they are watching how we conduct and how we, how we behave. We're telling them by the way that we live what it means to engage and embark on this Christ walk and what it means to be a Christ follower. And the Apostle Paul reveals some of the various elements of, uh, that should make up this Christ walk, that these, these different elements that should be on display for those of us that are choosing to follow Jesus. And so as we walk through this brief checklist, I want you all to consider this morning, how does your life stack up to these directives from Scripture? In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, Paul talks about that our walk must first be filled with love. He says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So first and foremost, our walk must be in love. Secondly, we must walk as children of the light. Ephesians 5 and 8, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people or children of light. Thirdly, the third component of, of, of our Christ walk should be that we walk in step with the Spirit. We walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 25, Paul writes this. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And then fourth and finally, our walk must be one that is careful. We must walk carefully. Ephesians 5.15, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live as those who are wise. See, Noah exemplified these kinds of things in his walk. And he was so close to God that God chose to reveal his plans for all of humanity to this one man, Noah. That he looked out over the earth and he said, I see one dude who is worthy. And so I'm going to tell him what my plans are for every other person. It was Noah's intimacy with God that leads to the scriptures identifying him as, as righteous and blameless in the midst of an otherwise wicked and perverse generation. And so the first charge from Noah's life when it comes to devoted living is that in a world that has become distracted from their walk, we must remain devoted. We must remain devoted. First off, Noah was devoted. Number two, secondly, Noah was diligent. Noah was diligent. 
picking up in Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. The word of the Lord came to Noah and said, Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door, one door, on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife, your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. And verse 22 is one of the most powerful verses in all of scripture. It says, so Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. See, Noah's diligence was made evident in his work. Where Noah's devotion was made evident in his walk, Noah's diligence was made evident in his work. Where his walk was a matter of the heart, his work was a matter of his hands. And God was very specific in the instructions that he had given Noah to build this ark. And this was a feat that had never been accomplished before by human hands. The ark was 450 feet long. That's one and a half of our American football fields. 75 feet wide, which is roughly seven to eight standard parking spaces, and then 45 feet high, which is the same height as your typical four-story building. It had three decks inside and over 100,000 square feet of deck space. There were over 1 million cubic feet of space in it. This is a volume capacity of approximately 860 railroad boxcars. It had a floating capacity, or its buoyancy, which is the total weight it could float, of almost 14,000 gross tons. And most scholars believe that in keeping with Genesis chapter 3, where the Lord talks about numbering the days of the people to 120 years, that it took Noah around 120 years to build the ark and prepare for the coming of the flood. And this was in a day and age, if you can believe it, there was no Lowe's, there was no Home Depot, there was no Ace Hardware, there was no lumber yard. This was, this was a task that was a, a whole lot bigger than just a simple checkbox on a, honey, uh, a honeydew list. Noah had to want it. It was something that he had to surrender to. He spent more than a lifetime's worth of time and effort making God's command become a reality. God was simply, in this moment, he was providing Noah with an opportunity to partner with him on his plan for the world that he had created. I love what Thomas Edison says about opportunity. Thomas Edison says, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. God was providing Noah with an opportunity to save himself and his family. 
to be the one that would initiate the change that God was wanting to see in the world, to be the one that, that going forward that all people would come from since Adam messed it up that we could start over and wipe the slate clean. But that opportunity, it was not easy. It's something that did not come easy to Noah. What I've discovered is that often God will call us to something that is so far outside the box and so much bigger than ourselves that we have no choice but to rely on him to help see it come to fruition. But that does not absolve us from our role in the equation because when it comes to God's call in our lives, it's, it's up to us to we do the things that only we can do and then we let him do the things that only he can do. There's another consideration in all of this that a lot of times we kind of glance over. And it's the fact that it had never rained before. I know that's hard for us here in Florida in the summer where it rains every day for at least 15 minutes, you know. It's hard for us to wrap our head around, but in this moment, it, it had never rained. Not only was God asking Noah to build something that had never been built before, the reason for him building this thing that had never been built before was because something that had never happened before was going to happen. Something that, that humanity had never witnessed with its own eyeballs. They, they'd never felt the, the refreshment of raindrops on their skin before. It had never been witnessed. And so you can imagine how conversations with Noah went in that day and age. People would be like, you're building a what because it's going to what? Like, it, it, it didn't make sense, and, and Noah would tell them, and he'd try to explain it to them, and, and I'm sure they responded in much the same way that many of us, myself included, probably would have responded in that day. Yeah, right, whatever, man, whatever. See, no doubt Noah and his family were the laughing stocks of the day. To make no mistake, God's, God's word to Noah was clear. But it just didn't make total sense from a human standpoint. And so part of the challenge from, from Noah and, and how it, how it uh, uh, translates to us as, as we live our lives in these last days is, is simply this. Are, are we going to be faithful to the call of God even when it doesn't make sense and even when it turns others against us? Because that's how Noah chose to live. He, he knew that it didn't make sense. And because of what he did, the, the world turned against him, yet he still remained faithful to the call. Are we going to follow after that same pattern in our life? 2 Peter 2.5, Peter writes this. He says, and God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood with every word that Noah spoke, with every board that he nailed, Noah proclaimed the message of God for 120 years. And in the end, are you ready for this? In the end, eight whole people got saved. What a dynamic ministry Noah led, right? 120 years devoted his entire life, every word, every deed, proclaimed the message of God and eight whole people. And I think some of them, they were just kind of grandfathered in because they were in his family and they were like, we know dad's crazy, but what else are we going to do? <laughs> so 
So the additional challenge of all of this is is that not just are we going to be faithful to the call of God when it doesn't make sense, but are we going to be faithful to the call of God even when it doesn't appear to be making a difference and bearing immediate fruit? Because that was Noah. That was Noah. His call, it didn't make sense to the world around him. And no matter how hard he tried, it just wasn't gaining any traction. See, in a world that's become disengaged from their work, you and I, we've got to be diligent. We've got to be diligent to follow God's instruction to the T for as long as it takes and never give up. Noah was devoted. Noah was diligent. And because of that, number three, Noah was delivered. Genesis 7, beginning with verse 1, it says, When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with all your family. For among all the people of earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. Take with you seven pairs, male and female, of each animal I have approved for eating and for sacrifice, and take one pair of each of the others. Also take seven pairs of every kind of bird. There must be a male and female in each pair to ensure that all life will survive on the earth after the flood. Seven days from now, I will make the rains pour down on the earth, and it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights until I have wiped from the earth all the living things I have created. And again, we read in verse 5, So Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him. And I know we've seen the mural on like, you know, the, the church nursery wall of Noah, all the animals, you know, going into the boat and everything. And, and it, it, it looks like, like a, a pleasant and a peaceful, like, you know, kind of existence or whatever. I got to imagine an ark full of animals was probably a pretty terrible place to be. Like there was a reason for that 18-inch window all the way around the top because all of the methane gas that would have been produced. Like Noah lights a candle to, you know, to like scribble on some parchment and just blows the thing to smithereens, you know? Like, I mean, you've been to a zoo or you've been out in a cow pasture. Like it's gross, Imagine that, like, just around you. You know, watch your step. <laughs> this was salvation. This is, this is God's plan for salvation. For, like, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't all sunshine. When, when we enter into covenant relationship with the Lord, when we follow out his plan for our lives, whoever told you that it was going to be all hunky-dory, peachy keen, jelly bean, they lied to you. Sometimes God's call, sometimes his plan for salvation, there, there's sacrifice involved. It's, there's a lot of stuff going on that we got to kind of deal with and navigate. And Noah found himself in that situation. And, and, and I, he, he, God tells Noah and his family, he says, go into the boat because in seven days the rain is going to come. I, I have to imagine that that was the longest week in the history of humanity, inside that boat. It's never rained before, and they're sitting there waiting for something to happen that they've never even seen. 
And, and I, can, I can imagine that, that as Noah and his family, they went and they're, they're in the boat with all those animals and everything. And they're looking around and it's starting to stink. And, and there's how long is this going to be? And they're calculating you know, 40 days and 40 nights and then several other weeks and months until the, the waters recede and all this stuff. And, and Ham, Shem, and Japheth are like, Dad, are you sure? And, and Ham, Shem, and Japheth's wives, they're starting to nag and they don't like it already. And it's just been a couple hours. And Dad, when, when's the rain going to come? Noah, have you, have you heard it rain? And they're, they're listening and everything. And as they're listening for the rain, what they hear is the people on the outside mocking and jeering and making fun of them and talking about how foolish they are and how, how idiotic they were. And they hear people getting out the spray cans and putting graffiti tags on the side of, of, of the ark. And, and they're getting their rotten eggs and they're throwing them and they're making fun of Noah and his family. The first 120 years were long, but, but that last week was the longest part of it. But Noah was saved for one reason, because he did everything as the Lord commanded him, period. He didn't cut corners, he didn't leave anything out, and he did it all by faith. This was his example for last day's living. Hebrews eleven seven says it this way, it says, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about the things that had never happened before. And by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he, he received the righteousness that comes by faith. See, the ark is actually a picture of the cross. The ark signifies the future salvation you and I will receive from God's destruction of sin that, that has come to us through Jesus Christ. And just as there was only one door through which to enter the ark, Jesus is the only way. The cross is the only way by which we are saved. John 10 and 7, Jesus explained it to them. He says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. John 14, 6, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And just as Noah and his family entered the ark by faith, we enter into salvation ourselves by faith in Christ alone. That same salvation that was brought to Noah and his family, that same salvation that Jesus talked about is the same salvation that is available to you and to me today. And if you're here this morning, you're watching with us online today, and you've never placed your hope and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to do that with me right now. We just bow our heads can we pray this prayer together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And today I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. You know, Noah's story communicates something else to us. Let me be clear about this. I think what Noah's story communicates more than anything is, is that salvation is so much more than just praying a prayer. It requires us to walk it out and to work it out for the rest of our lives as we continue to live by faith. As I mentioned before, we, we like to say around here that, that we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. And I'm convinced that what the unbelieving world needs more than anything as we navigate these last days is for the people of God to set an example 
what a devoted walk with God and what diligence in their work for God looks like. I believe that that is the stuff of inspiration. And it made all the difference for Noah and his family. And it can do the same for your family and for my family. See, in, in this passage in Genesis 6 and 7, Noah, he, he represents just, just one family, just eight total people. And look at the impact that he made the rest of the world for, for all of humanity. Imagine if all of us in these last days decided to embrace this kind of lifestyle. He was just one family and look at the impact. Imagine if all of us chose to live this way. What kind of difference could we make together? How might the atmosphere of this church and the atmosphere of our homes change if we chose to lean into our walk with Jesus with a greater level of devotion? How might our community and its people be, be changed and challenged for the better if, if you and I were to embrace the calling to be diligent in our work for the Lord? Think of the family members, the friends, the coworkers, the random acquaintances that might be able to experience the same deliverance as you and me as we choose to live lives that point them in the direction of Jesus Christ. Today, that starts with a simple decision that, that we all can make. It's the same decision that Noah chose. It's to do everything exactly as the Lord commanded. It's a simple choice, but it makes all the difference. Our devotion and our diligence will lead to our deliverance. Our devotion and our diligence will lead to our deliverance. That's what God is calling us to do and to be, to set the example for the unbelieving world in these last days. I know where I stand. I invite you to take that stand with me. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your salvation that comes through Jesus. Lord, I pray that everyone within the sound of my voice this morning would surrender their heart and life to you, that they would come into right relationship with you through Jesus, that they would realize that it's nothing that they can do on their own. It's nothing that they can be on their own, but it is through faith in Christ alone that brings about salvation. Lord, I pray that as, as we, we live in these last days, as we, as we try to take a stand for what it means to truly follow Christ and exemplify that with our lives, Lord, that you would help us to be devoted in our walk with you, God. Lord, that the motive of our heart show us to be righteous and blameless in your sight. Lord, in these last days, help us to be diligent in our work for you. Lord, that we would follow your instructions to a T and that we, would, that we would fight, that we would struggle, that we would work, that we would do whatever it takes as long as it takes until we see the calling that you have placed on our lives come to fruition. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in expectation of our full deliverance on that day of the coming of the Lord. And in the meantime, Lord, that you would help us to live our lives as examples to the world around us of what it means to truly obey God, to walk by faith. Let us be those kinds of people, just like Noah, who would choose to do everything just as the Lord commands us. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.